the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a look at God's restraining grace. Today, on Way of Grace, with Pastor Jessica Stan. Join us here in Genesis chapter 20. Again, greetings in Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Way of Grace, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Pastor Jessica Stand will take us to Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 18 today, as we take a look at the restraining grace of God, how God holds back things that shouldn't be moving forward because of grace and His mercy. When integrity meets integrity, Here's Pastor Jessica Stan with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. When you read the book of Genesis, God wants you to have an understanding of his linear objective and purpose of redemption in the matters of how he works among the human race. God's like, his ways are like a a heat-seeking missile. This is for you folks who like military stuff. He's honed in on a purpose and a goal, and nothing will stop him. The ain'ts or the saints will not stop God from accomplishing his purpose. Now, one of the mistakes we'll make is that when we read the Bible, we read the Bible like a Reader's Digest or a Jet magazine or a novel. And because of that, we are stuck on what I call the horizontal dilemma. So long as you do that, you are almost always guaranteed to miss the gospel. So I want to help some of you guys in the new year in the integrity of Bible reading and Bible study. Whenever you read your Bible, you open your Bible and you begin to look at the black letters on the white page. Ask the Spirit of God to show you what God is up to not the people in the text. This is what we call theology. A theological interpretation of the Bible always observes how God is either working behind the scenes, above the scenes, or in the text. And where we come away from a narrative only jazzed or curious about the events that occurred in that text, we have not seen the glory of God. Now, y'all know, like I know, if you go to the Bible with your carnal eyes, you're not guaranteed to see wisdom. Is that right? So David said in the Psalms, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. I want to know how you work, God. I want to know your ways. Isn't that what Moses said? Two months into the wilderness of his assignment, he realized that God's ways were not his ways. He said, whoa, God will kill a bunch of people, even his own people. 
All right, Lord, sit me down and show me who you are and how you work because I don't want to miss you. And that's what we will have to do with our text. I want to I want to try to uh, explain, expound, preach a little bit, but I'm almost compelled to know that this will take two messages. But I'm going to see what I can do today to to kind of launch you into a new frontier of understanding the event that transpired here in the Genesis 20 narrative. Because remember a couple of weeks ago, ago I told you that when you're dealing with Genesis, God is giving us what I had stated, embryonic what? Prophecies. Y'all remember that? Write it down. Embryonic prophecies. Embryonic prophecies are prophecies that God births, births in the circumstances of the people of God, and they take on Uh, an initial seed form. They'll be simple in their prophetic expression, but they'll come up again a hundred years later and be more developed. And they may take on a third or fourth prophetic fulfillment. Why? Because the book of Genesis is about the seed. Where you miss that, you miss what God is up to. The word Genesis means seed. That's where we get the term generations from one seed to another seed to another seed to another seed. Are y'all with me? And we know that the Bible is really talking about one seed and his name is what? Jesus. When you fail to put that kind of prism on your reading the Bible, you won't know what God is up to. You might think God is immoral. You think God is unjust. You think God is. But see, God is never immoral or unjust. He might just be transcendent. And you might not get it, and largely it's because we don't have enough data to work with when we're reading the narrative. Before us, we are in Genesis 20, and you know Genesis is a book of how many chapters? 50 chapters. So we're only 20 chapters in, a little less than halfway into the book of Genesis, and we are in that post-Diluvian, post-flood era where God is recreating the earth all over again since the days of Noah. We are only a few years hence from Noah. What I mean by a few years, a few hundreds of years from Noah's time. Noah is the new Adam. And you've got to get that because God wiped out the old world in a flood. We believe that, don't we? And he started over again with one family. God believes in family. But remember now, the family that God is ultimately talking about is the family of God. But God works in family. And so Noah is now the new Adam. His progenitors, his children are three, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Y'all got that? From those three are the population of the whole world. All of you and I are all part of one family. So, you know, get past all that race stuff because that's unbiblical. It's unethical. It's unscientific. It has no basis in biology. We are all of one blood. Different ethnic groups, different nations, one blood, one daddy. Y'all got that? And especially, watch this now, and especially once we're born again, we got one daddy. And we have one big brother, the Lord Jesus. And because we know him no more after the flesh as a Jew, we no longer have an ultimate identity or value system in our ethnicity. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, if you're not walking like this, you're not walking by faith. If you're not walking by faith, you are not Abraham's seed. And if you're not Abraham's seed, you won't understand what Big Brother is up to today. 
I hope I can get there. Lord, let me get there today. I want to tell these people a story about Abraham and Sarah. I've just come to learn that that's Bonnie and Clyde. You better put your seatbelts on. The gospel is a sinner's gospel. And only sinners will get it. If you're righteous, self-righteous, stuck on your righteousness, you won't get it. So let me go to work a little bit in order to kind of work through this. Our whole subject this year is around integrity, right? The first time in your Bible the word integrity is used is in our context. Genesis 20, verse 6. And you will mark that the person that uses the term integrity is not a believer. He's a lost man. And so far as we might assume, we don't know he could ultimately have been a believer. We have no definite affirmation as to whether he was or not. We know that as a role, he's a Philistine, and a Philistine is one of Israel's most formidable enemies. But here's what I want to say about integrity, and I taught my men this last night. Integrity is not a unique commodity that belongs to the believer. In fact, in all reality, believers very seldom demonstrate integrity. Although that's what God has called us to, integrity is something that we have been called to practice as we walk in our purpose. We learned that last, yesterday, right, ladies? Integrity is, in fact, the process by which our purpose is practiced and manifested. But the reality is integrity being wholeness or completion or maturity or fulfillment and on a, a verbal expression Integrity means to start something and then do what? Finish it. So a man or a woman of integrity sets out to do something, has all of the necessary apparatus and tools to get it done, and actually gets it done. That's a person of integrity. Now, ultimately, watch this now. I'm going to lay this all out in front, and I'm not coming back here again. Integrity can really only be found in God. God is the believer's integrity. Y'all got that? That's first script is 130 for you. You don't have to go there, but just know that God is the believer's integrity because God is yes and amen. And with God, there is no yea or nay. And because God can't lie, fail, or change, God is integrity. What he says and what he is, he does. When he starts something, he finishes. He will do all his counsel. He will fulfill all his will. If God spoke it, will he not do it? If he said it, will he not make it good? If God starts the thing, will he not finish it? God, therefore, is the integrity of the believer in person, and that's who Christ is for us who believe. He is all my wisdom. He is all my righteousness. He's all my sanctification. He's all my glory. And the believer has, by virtue of position, that very integrity. So my integrity as a person is Christ. My integrity is a position. I am complete in Christ. How about you? He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and I'm complete in him. That means God sees me as perfectly integral, perfectly whole, perfectly complete, perfectly mature in my Savior. But integrity is also the life that I'm living. Integrity is the process of my journey. Integrity is the sanctification that God is working out in my life. Is that true? Christ in you what? The hope of glory. And so God is doing what he said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He is, he is making me whole, body, soul, and spirit. Faithful is he who hath 
promised it, who also will what? And therefore, not only is God the person of my integrity, Christ is the grounds of my position, and the spirit of Christ in me is the process, but the promise that is given to every believer is that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That makes us secure in Christ, but it's a premise that's based upon faith. Now, faith is the substance of things what? Hope for the evidence of things what? We're waiting on the reality of our integrity, which will show up one day in the person of Christ. And when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him what? As he is. So as we talk about integrity, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to be talking about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't want you talking about willpower, white knuckling it. I don't want you to be talking about legalism or mysticism or works religion. I don't want you to talk about what you can do because you can do nothing. I, I don't know if you know it, but you don't have any power at all. Remember, Daddy, the first time you picked that little baby up and you said, quit crying. And he screamed at you, no. And you realize you don't have any authority at all. None. You and I are weak by nature. And this walk of faith is designed to expose you and I to an utter, perpetual, relentless need of God. And this is why when you read in the narrative of the text, the manner and conduct of the believer, you have to be able to hold on and recognize integrity is taking place here. See, because God's integrity is to make sure you know who you are and who he is. And that's going to include the exposure of your sin and the exposure of your weakness so that no flesh shall what? Glory in his sight. So as we look at point number one, I want to make my way through this in order to get into the narrative, but I got to reach back to chapter nine to establish the premise that I think you're already persuaded on, but you need to know your Bible is explicitly clear on the prophecy of Noah. Remember what Noah declared in Genesis chapter nine, verse 24 through 27, when he came out of the stupor of his drunkenness and realized what his son Ham had done? Do you remember? Notice what it said. And Noah awoke out of his wine, and he knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his what? Now I want you to capture that. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his what? God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Do you understand what just happened here? And I'll share this because of people's not only misinterpretation of the text along the lines of race and discrimination and all of that junk and black folks being the Hamite slaves and, and, and white folks being the Japhethite rulers, just abandon all of that notion, just throw those glasses away and understand that Abraham, I'm sorry, Noah did not curse anybody, nor did he bless anybody. All he did was declare a curse and declare a blessing. Only God can curse. And only God can bless. But when he's working through his prophet, what he does is share a curse that he comes to realize will occur in the life of the people of Ham. For the Hamites will include the Canaanites. Do you guys get that? So the Canaanite culture has its own uh, notorious history of immorality and perversion, does it not? But these are the sons of Abraham, uh, of Noah. But the common concept or theme running through the curse is the blessing. 
For not only is he declaring the curse upon the Canaanites, which you and I are. I, hold on now. Let's get this straight. If we're anything on the earth, you and I, I'm talking about this room full of people, we're Canaanites. That's what we are. Idolaters. Fornicators. Adulterers. Homosexuals. Lesbians. Bisexuals. Perverts. We're wicked. Through and through. Except for the grace of God, there go we. So don't boast about being something different than anybody else. You and I are all wicked by nature. All wicked by nature. Not me. Yeah, you. Hold on. Especially you. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. There's none that seeketh after God. They have all gone out of the way. If God doesn't come get you, to hell you go. That's the Genesis narrative, and that's where you start with the gospel. We're all in the pit, brother and sister. We're all in the pit. And there has to be somebody greater than us to climb into the pit and come get us. So here's what God does in the prophecy of, of Noah. He declares a curse that is the consequence of our sin and rebellion, but he also declares a blessing that will be planted smack dab in the middle of the curse. Now that's the gospel. For God will take Shem and his whole family and plant it smack dab in the middle of Canaan and become a blessing to the whole world in Canaan. That's the tension of the gospel. The place of the curse is the place of the blessing. And the place of the blessing is where the curse is remitted. And when we talk about Canaan, we're talking about the promised land. Whoa, what a tension. On the one hand, it's the land of cursing. On the other hand, it's the land of what? Milk and honey is in that land. Oh, but there's something else in that land. It's a mountain called Moriah and a hill called Golgotha and a seed who is on his way to that mountain and to that hill right now. If you will allow the text to teach you, lo, I come in the volume of the book is written of me to do your will. Y'all see that? So then in your outline, a couple sub points, because I want to keep it moving. The prophecy of Noah lays out two things in our first sub point, the character and calling of a people. In, in Genesis 10, we have the expression of what is called the table of nations. In Genesis 10, we will start at verse 15 and notice what it says. And Canaan, do you see Canaan? It's the son of Ham, grandson of, of Noah. Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Hep. Verse 16, the Jebusites, the Amorites the Gershites, the Hivites, the Archites, and the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemurites, the Hamathites, and after that, that were all the families of Canaan spread abroad. Do you notice something about these names? These are among the seven of whom God says, when Israel enters into the land, they must be destroyed. Remember that? That's Deuteronomy 7, the Amorites and the Amalekites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the, and the rest of them, seven nations that should be destroyed. Why? Because between the time in which Noah declares the curse and the time that God's people show up there, Canaan will become perverse and wicked without any kind of boundaries. And God will ultimately always punish sin. 
And so God's going to deal with them down the line. But on his way there, on his way there, God does things that give us what I am calling embryonic prophetic fulfillment so we can see how God acts. Subpoint B, the honor and glory of the what? Hebrew God. That's the God of Shem. Blessed be the God of Shem. Now, Shem is the son of Noah, as is Japheth and Ham, but Shem is what we would call the Semitic people, the Hebrew people. From Shem, you and I use the word S-H, but in the Arabic, Aramaic, and Hebrew culture, it's simply Semitic, 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 Sim. You guys got that? Sim. The Shemite people are the people who are ultimately the Hebrews, and therefore uh, Abraham comes from them. Look with me now at chapter, um, chapter 14, verse 19 and 20, which is what we saw a couple of weeks ago with the salutation and blessing that was rendered to Abraham by none other than Melchizedek. In 14, notice what it says in 19 and 20. Here's what Melchizedek said. And he blessed him, that is Melchizedek, and blessed be Abram of the Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God who hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, and he gave him tithes of all. Abraham was declared blessed by Melchizedek because Abraham served the Most High God. Abraham is where right now? In Canaan. Abraham is in Canaan. Abraham has just won a battle. And the high priest of Canaan, actually of Jerusalem, didn't we learn that? Is declaring that Abraham is the servant of the Most High God. The same blessing that Noah is declaring in Genesis 9 is what Melchizedek is blessing, uh, declaring right here. And we know that Abraham is a, a Shemite because in point number two, we clearly lay this out in Genesis 10. Back up to Genesis 10 and let's affirm that as we move on. In Genesis 10, the table of nations where all three sons proliferate, you start off dealing with the, uh, the Shemites, the Hamites, and then the Japhethites in verse 1. But in Genesis 10, mark what it says over in verse 21. Are you there? Now unto Shem... Also, the father of all of the children of what? Eber. Do you see the word Eber? That's our word for Hebrew people. Eber is the Hebrew people. In fact, if we were to literally express the word Hebrew in uh, Aramaic or in Okaldi, it would be Ha-Ibri. That's in your outline. Ha-Ibri. Ibri is Eber. Now, the Eber people were traveling people. They were migrant people. Ha-Ibri means the Hebrews, the Hebrew people. And you'll see in the line of Shem that Eber is his son, but also Abraham is his son because Abraham comes from the Eber people uh, in Genesis chapter 10, verse 21. And then look over in Genesis chapter 11, verse 10 as the narrative of the chronology of the patriarch fathers gets a little bit tighter. In chapter 11, verse 10, these are the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old. He begot Arphaxad two years after the flood. Shem lived after, the, after he begot Arphaxad 500 years. He begot sons and daughters. And if you make your way all the way down to verse 16, here is the son of Shem. And Eber lived four and 30 years, 34 years, begot Peleg. Eber lived after he begot Peleg 400 
and 30 years and begot sons and daughters. Now watch this. Eber, I mean, Eber begot Peleg, Peleg begot Ru, and then down in verse 20, Ru lived two and 30 years and begot Sarek, and Ru lived after he begot Sarek 270 years and begot sons and daughters. All this redundant language is something else, but notice what it says in verse 23. And Sarek lived after he begot Nahor 200 years, begot sons and daughters, and Nahor lived 920 years, begot Terah. Terah, and Nahor lived after he begot Terah 119 years and begot sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and begot who? Abraham comes out of Eber by seven generations, okay? He comes out of Eber by seven generations, meaning that Abraham is a Hebrew, but he's also a Shemite. Such a wonderful time here in God's Word. It's our hope and prayer that you're growing in grace as you take the time to study God's Word with us. We thank you for joining us. This is Way of Grace, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward. We would leave you with an invitation. If you enjoyed the time you've had with us today studying God's Word, please consider this a formal invitation to join us in person. Sunday services at Grace Bible Church in Hayward are at 11 a.m. Sunday schools at 10. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We've got a lot of folks from all over and from a variety of churches joining us Friday evenings at 8 p.m. for this Bible study. You're invited to either one. We're located at 20450 Royal Avenue. That's here in Hayward. And the zip code is 94541. You can also get directions at our website, grace-bible.com. Again, that's grace-bible.com. Or simply call for directions, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. As always, we have CDs available. You can download the messages off our website or call us and order a CD of today's broadcast or any program that you have heard here on Way of Grace. We'd be more than happy to get one out to you. You can call us at 510 886 9782, or stop by our website, grace-bible.com. We do thank you for spending time with us today. Trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.